Powered by Go Goat Sports in partnership with TSN. It is episode 46, season 4 of the Rain Riggs Hockey Podcast. And it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. We've got Dave Nonis, former NHL general manager, joined us, joined us Thursday prior to Friday's deadline. And he's going to join us on the podcast again to look back at the deadline season it was. Not just the, the day being Friday, but taking us all the way back to January. So looking forward to another visit, Ray, with Dave Nonis. And uh, looks like as I see the comforts of your home, you're clearly back in Vancouver. And I wanted to ask you about the weekend because as I was doing my hard prep for the golf pool draft, which yes, I did on yes. Sunday, I'm on Saturday watching the ABC game. And there you are. And wondering, I didn't watch that closely. So you've, we've, we've all had a couple of games now to to see Patty Kane in a New York Rangers uniform. Yeah. You saw him up front and close. What was your takeaway and based on what you've seen so far? That looked like a team looking to find themselves again. Oof. Like, I was, I, I'm not surprised uh, because you end up with a lot of guys that are used to having the puck a lot. Yeah. And are the players they are because they have the puck a lot. However... As Bill Burr would say, there's only one puck and it looked off. Now, again, the Rangers put themselves in this position by tight roping along the salary cap. Right. Yeah. And so now they have no lineup options. Keandre Miller was sitting out the third of his three game suspension. Uh, Ryan Lindgren is not injured enough to go on long-term injury, which is a good thing. However, they couldn't replace him. So they played with 16 skaters again. And it, it's just, it just doesn't, it's like a Bantam team. You look at the bench and there's all kinds of room to sit there. Nobody's sitting shoulder to shoulder. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the Kane Panarin together. I don't know if it works in today's game. Now they played together six years ago was their last game in Chicago. Just think of how the game has changed and sped up in those six years. No kidding. They both want to slow down and hang on to the puck and move the puck across the seams. The game goes too fast for two of them like that. So I I think they've got a little bit of a conundrum about how to play these guys. The power play couldn't look more disorganized. Now they haven't had a chance to practice it. Yeah. Yeah. But they take, they've got a home run hitter in Mika Zibanejad that plays on the left circle. Next to David Pasternak, he shoots the puck more on the power play than anybody else in the league. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. They now have him in the bumper position. And they have Kane and Panarin on the wings because that's where those guys like to play. Well, that's nice, but that's like taking your home run hitting first baseman and playing him at shortstop. (laughs) It it just doesn't, doesn't look right. It doesn't fit. It's not right. And so they've got four days of practice before they play on Thursday. And my guess is that power play won't look the same when they come yeah. out of the four-day break, because I don't think the personnel will be in the same place, but was not it was not an impressive start for them. No, I mean, obviously an ongoing chemistry experiment for the Rangers. Before we get to headlines, you know, talk about a bad break, no pun intended. You know, Ryan O'Reilly is such a nice fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Comes in in the Uchari-O'Reilly trade from the St. Louis Blues, breaks his finger on the weekend. And, I mean, the good news is, if you want to look at, the silver lining in any of this, it happened now. So it's not worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is it happens game 82 and you lose the guy for maybe a couple of rounds of the playoffs or, or more, but still just a kick to the shins of the Maple Leafs. But 
you know, more to the point of Ryan O'Reilly, who's had more than his share of injury this season. Right. Just when you, it's amazing, boy, like just when you get going, if you're chasing the bus a little bit, which O'Reilly is because of his previous injury, and he missed, I think, six weeks with a broken foot. Mm-hmm. An idea. Don't get hit with a puck. <laughs> that would be my first advice to him. But, you know, you get back, you start to feel good. Now, now you get, you know, you're in a new team, new city, and, you know, he's going to adjust quickly because he knows Toronto and, you know, yeah. certainly wants to be there and is a super important part of that team. But now you're shut down again. I guess, I guess the only benefit to this, as opposed to his broken foot, is he'll be able to skate. Yeah, that he'll at yeah. least be able to condition and keep himself on the ice. He won't be able to handle the puck, of course, because they, they've got to wait until the finger sets. But it is a, a, a real break. I mean, it's a... Yeah. But you're right. It, the timing could be way worse. It could be way worse for them. How about the world we live in, right, where, you know, the camera is always out. So, you know, O'Reilly is wherever he was coming out of the tunnel or going into one of the many areas where the players can get to the glass or whatever he's doing. He's in street clothes and he's got the splint on his broken finger, right? And somebody in the stands, you know, who's hanging along the railing, spots it, takes a picture of O'Reilly who's looking up right at him. So I can just envision this unfolding. Hey, O'Reilly looks up, snaps a picture, and it goes viral on social media, right? This picture of, of O'Reilly in his splint. So the Toronto Maple Leafs had to be pretty transparent with what happened, broken finger, seeing a surgeon. <laughs> right, right. They were kind of caught dead. To the, um, the old upper body doesn't work. in that. Nah, and that's not going to fly in this case. All right, we're going to talk to Dave Nonis about many things deadline related, including the improvements by the Boston Bruins. But I thought that that's where we should start headlines today, Ray. You know, the Bruins 10-0, 10-0 in their last 10 games on the cusp of 50 wins. And just as impressive, only eight losses to this point of the regular season. In 62 games played, 103 points. I mean, I don't know why we should be surprised. I guess I I'm not surprised given how there's been virtually no blip for this team. They've they've lost a couple of games, eight to be precise, but they don't go on these three, four, five game, you know, kind of skids or even mini funks. They just find a way to claw back immediately. Yeah, I think it's really important, Dregs, when we look at the Bruins and their their positioning and record right now to to go back to, to September. They're coming into training camp. No Brad Marchand, no Charlie McAvoy, no Matt Greslick. They're all out with off-season injuries and surgeries. And the general consensus was, can they hang on until November through the first four to five weeks of the season till these guys get back? Or are they going to be too far behind that they can't catch up? Mm -hmm. I think they won their first eight games. And that was before anybody came back. And then they had David Krejci, you know, who'd been away for a year and he comes back and I mean, David Krejci was not fast when he left. And so you're like, man, after a year, what's going to happen? Yeah, He plays the game the same way as when he left. He isn't fast, but he's super smart and he knows where to deliver the puck. And then they make the coaching change and Jimmy Montgomery comes in. And I thought he did an amazing thing. He took a look at the Bruins defensive game and he said, well, why would I change any of that? And he had, he had Chris Kelly 
and Joel Sackle from the previous staff there. And so they just implemented or reinforced that defensive system. And Montgomery put in his offensive look to the system. And now the Bruins defense is far more aggressive up in the play. They've got all kinds of offense from the blue light. The other thing he did, and he did it kind of quietly, and it took two players to do it, was that he flipped David Pasternak and Jake DeBrusque. Mm-hmm. And so he put the three Czech players together, Pasternak, Krejci, and Zaka, and then he moved DeBrusque up to Bergeron and Marshad. Now, mm. that could work or couldn't work. The personality of Pasternak, though, he's in a contract year, it's going to be big money, and now he's moving away from Bergeron. And so all that's happened is he's got 43 goals. DeBrusque has had kind of a reinvigoration. And so everything they've touched has been perfect. Yeah. By the way, I came across two stats about Bergeron and Marchand. Because I said in the game on Saturday on ABC, I said, man, I don't know how long these guys have played together, but like how many minutes they've played together, but it, I don't ever remember them apart. I will, This is impossible, so I won't ask you to guess. They've played 12,615 minutes together in their career in 14 <laughs> years. 12,000 Every time Bergeron goes on the ice, 12,600 minutes, Marshad standing right beside <laughs> Like, it is crazy to me. They've combined, ridiculous on, number. they've combined on 406 goals in their wow. in their career. Ken Hodge and Phil Esposito have the most in Bruins history at 406. They're tied. They'll likely break it Thursday. Like, it is astounding. The continuity, the culture, we all talk about it in Boston, in any team, but Boston yeah. is the example of it. They're, they're really, it's hard to imagine them not winning, but not sports. They still got to play. You still can run into a hot goalie for 10 days or somebody slumps. Everybody slumps for 10 days and boom, you're gone. Hard to imagine Bergeron retiring, but he might, he might. I mean, they win the Stanley cup. He might say, Hey, you know what? I'm going out on top here. That's as good as it gets. I mean, we know how long he took to make his decision last off season. Yeah, so, he's also making a million five. I know. I like, know. after a while, you're like, wait a minute. This was really <laughs> hard. And did I get, <laughs> I got enough. So I love watching him play. I, yeah. He's one of my favorite people in the game. He just seems to do the right thing all the time. It's always, it's remarkable. I'm, I, I'm just so impressed with, yeah. with, with his hall of fame career. Well, and another hall of famer, future hall of famer captain obvious here and that's Connor mcdavid 54th goal last night with another pair in what started out to be an entertaining hockey game between the buffalo sabers and and the Edmonton Oilers. it it was entertaining from start to finish nothing wrong with that game can he score what are, what do are the Oilers have like 17 games for right. something like that so he's got 54 do we even mention 70 or is it like how do you He's capable, more than capable of scoring 16 times in 17. I'm not going to say he's going to, but he's definitely capable. Is he thinking about it? Do you think that's what he's thinking about at this point? Um, Among other things. I don't know. Like, how would you not? How can you not? That's my point. I'm going to say no, he can't do it. Okay. I don't know why, because I think it's really hard, although he makes it look ridiculously easy. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the other thing is, because they're in the type of race they're in, Drake's, yeah. I don't know that he can, you know, if they can look for him more, I don't know how you look for him more, but they can't alter anything trying to get him a few extra looks as a goal here or a goal there, right? Right, right. Um, 
I think he's in like the, so 17 games, he's going to get 10. So I think he gets 64. Gee, what a terrible year. It, <laughs> it is amazing to watch him night after night. Yeah. Just literally, I know we use this term more now. Oh, this guy's an electric player. Or, yeah. Yeah. It just sparks out of him. Electricity. He's an amazing player to watch. Yeah. And two more goals last year. Like, and are you even surprised? No. So no. he's got, in six of his last seven games, he's got two goals. Mm-hmm. It's like he's in a peewee tournament. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Pretty tough team. Pretty tough league to have success in, and he's just rolling along here. All right, speaking of the Oilers and teams rolling in the West, how about Minnesota? Let's throw Seattle and Vegas into that, all riding winning streaks. And this Pacific division, as we've just alluded to, is bananas, right? Yes. One through four is is up for grabs, and it, it'll come right down to the wire. At least that's the way it feels. It does. Uh, so I watched Seattle and Colorado. I think it was, was that Sunday night, Monday night. I don't know. Days all kind of run together. Yeah. Man, Seattle's fast and they're aggressive. And Grubauer gave them a really good game again in goal. That's kind of the one thing that you hold your breath on a little bit for them. Right. They don't, it's funny, you know, they don't have a, a outside of McCann. I think McCann's a good scorer. I like him a lot. Uh, but they, they seem to get goals from kind of like all over the map. And it's been that way all year. Really, mm-hmm. really an impressive thing. It's hard to do that. Seattle's been really impressive. Minnesota makes that trade in the summer. They got to free up some cap space. So they trade Cam Talbot for Ottawa or to Ottawa for Philip Gustafson. And yeah. the question is how much can Mark Andre Fleury play? And then Gustafson's basically taken the net. He's been mm-hmm. amazing for them. And then Fleury started to play well again. But the key to many is they reestablish who they are and they're a hard team to play against. They're really aggressive. Kaprizov's a star, but I liked that the deadline, they went out and, you know, like a guy like Oscar Sundquist doesn't move the needle. He's a Minnesota yeah. player, man. He's yeah. thick and heavy and he's hard to play. It's not very fast, but man, no. he's a good player. But I thought that was a, a really good move for him. We'll see what they get out of Klingberg. I mean, he's had a, a brutal, brutal year. Vegas mm-hmm. gets quick and... You know, he wins his first game and Barbashev gets a couple of goals against Montreal. And yeah, man, like there's nowhere to go in that division. There's no, there's no, you can't take a back step because if you do, you're going to lose three places in the division in, in a couple of days. All right. Well, let's wrap up headlines with that division and the Vancouver Canucks. And, and are we starting to see the results in, in a coaching change? And this isn't, Bruce versus Rick Tockett, because you do have to, you know, give some credit to the other guys, right? Like Sergey Gonchar is a legit coach. Adam Foote has, has the playing resume and, and the experience that, that goes along with that. But the team, at least to me, seems to be playing better. I mean, they handily beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not a good night for the Leafs. They've got their goaltender and Thatcher Demko back. So now until the end of this season, is it simply about playing the right way, which was the point of management, waiting for as long as they did to make the coaching chain. So you do have, you know, these good habits, right, that are created. So you get to training camp next year. Yes, there's going to be more off-season changes. We know that there are veterans that likely won't be back next season, but can we collectively appreciate and understand the process a little bit better now because of the way we're seeing the team play? Why? Well, I, I think so. Uh, you know, you, they've got a number of people out of their lineup still. Um, you know, one, one of their trade acquisitions is Philip Aronik, and 
You know, they're not going to have him for a little bit of time, I think. The, whatever the numbers will tell us will help what your eyes tell you, right? I mean, that's the way the analytics and the numbers are supposed to work. And I think they would tell you quality chances are way down and advantage breaks are down. They're playing with more structure to their game, which way back when, well, way back a year and a bit ago when Jim Rutherford took over, he talked about they wanted to play in a in a different structure. Mm-hmm. And however long it took and however the road was that they got there, it appears like that's the case. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looks like. Elias Pettersson is playing fantastic hockey. For those that don't watch the Canucks, man, this kid's back to where he was a couple of years ago. He is a he's a terrific player. And I would say they the knowledge that the coaching change was gonna happen. Once it got to be everywhere around the room and the team and the city, it's really hard to break away from that. And yeah, it was a I, snowball. Yeah. And I and I thought the it affected everybody in every which way. And so it's a it's a clean break or, or a new start, if you will, but it takes time for it to show up. And I think they're seeing the benefits of it. I've mm-hmm. looked at this right or wrong to any team making a coaching change late in the year and hiring not an interim coach, but a you know the coach that they're going to yeah. have going forward. Yeah. That this last part of the year is an extended training camp. So when they get to camp next year, it's not full teaching. It's like let's get going and we yeah. have our foundation in place. That's that's what I think this these games are about for teams like the Canucks. Hundred percent agree with that. Those are your headlines. Our interviews on Ray and Riggs this year brought to you by. Canadian Club Whiskey, you were asking, are you over beer? Why not try refreshing CC ginger ale next time you're having a drink or watching a game? Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between. They have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. All right, we're joined now by former NHL general manager Dave Nonis, who has become a regular, I would say, right, right, on the Ray and Dregs hockey podcast. Yeah, one of the highlights of his career, I think. <laughs> well, uh, considering some of the lowlights, I think that there's somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> Not to be fair. All right, Dave, why don't we walk through some of the stuff that went on and, um, you know, living it firsthand, you know, the trade season actually started. I mean, if you want to identify where it got going, I guess it'd be that January 30th trade between the Canucks and the Islanders where Horvat, you know, the biggest piece of the trade season at that point gets shifted to the Islanders. And then you go to what, February 17th, where the Leafs make their trade with the Blues, O'Reilly and O'Chari coming back to uh, Toronto, then followed by Boston, Washington, Orlov and Hathaway and all of that. Are we likely to see more of this in terms of a staggered deadline in the years to come, or is, is so much of this related to the salary cap? So if there's a bump in the cap, maybe we won't see it as evident as we did this year. You know, I, I think we will see it a little bit, but maybe not to this extent. This was this was remarkable. I mean, I think when you see how many players went early, Horvat, I, I thought Horvat would go before the deadline, but I didn't think he'd go a month before the deadline. Uh, 
you know, in this situation, I think what happened is some teams identified players that they felt that they needed to have in order to have any chances of success. And I think Lou was, was the biggest one and went out and did what he had to do to get the player. Once that happened this year, I think a bunch of other teams did the same thing. They started doing some self-evaluation. This is what I think we need to do. There's only so many players available. Let's be more aggressive and see if we can add them quicker. I think we'll see it again next year, but not to the same extent. I think you know the day or two days before the deadline will still be of, of some interest uh, as opposed to this year when there really wasn't a whole lot of players yeah. you know, remaining on, on that last day. So Dave, that first trade happens and then there's a little bit of a lull and you say, you know, okay, so other teams got to make the decision that they're going to sell or buy, what, what, whatever it might be at that time. When the first big chip goes, is there a, a ripple effect? Like we got to get going everybody's going to get going or are you still just kind of plodding away in your own pace and your own internal room? There, there's a, a heightened sense of urgency, I think, for some teams, particularly those ones that have a chance to, to win. I think they have a chance to win. They need to add a piece in their mind in order to, you know, to be really competitive. You know, and you'll sit down prior to the deadline and you'll put together kind of a range of what you're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I'm certain that New Jersey put together a range that they're willing to pay for Timo Meyer, and the bottom end of that range isn't what they ended up paying. They they had to pay at the top end of that mm-hmm. range. And, mm-hmm. and once mm-hmm. once some of the other teams around them start to uh, add pieces, you look at what your range is, and they step out and say, "No, are we willing to pay the top end we're talking about? And if we are, let's go ahead and do it." That's how I how these trades all kind of came to fruition it was just this is what we have to do if we want the player and if if we're prepared to do it let's do it 10 days before the deadline as opposed to you know two days before the deadline okay so you've set your bottom end and your top end and you get right down to the nitty-gritty on on player a how often do you step outside the top end where you go we're not going past this and oh crap here we (laughs) go here we go okay (laughs) It, it does happen but really if you've done a pretty good job of what you're willing to pay your top end is probably a little bit heavy anyway. Okay. In other words, you've said this is this is going to be a staggering trade for us to do, but are we willing to do it? Mm. And I think that that's what you're seeing now. And also, there's a seller's range as well. Pretty certain that they were asking for more than that for Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. So their range, if you're a seller, you're looking at your bottom end and your top end as well. And sometimes, you know, that, that comes down to meet in the middle, and that's when the trade gets executed. Okay, so now you've... You've set your range, they've set their range, the trade's made, and it's not you. What is What goes through your mind? The play, Timo Meyer was not going to only know New Jersey. There were plenty of teams that were in there deep. So of those other teams, what is the first thought that's going through their head, and what do they do next? Well, you got to have another player on your list. Uh, and sometimes you have three or four players on your list, mm. and you go through the same song and dance with those guys to see if you can land that player. At the end of the day, you, if you end up with nothing, but you've tried your best to get these, these deals completed, you put your best offers out, you put an offer that you think is more than fair, it doesn't you know, hurt the franchise long-term, and you don't get the player, that's part of the game. I mean, sometimes there are other teams out there that are willing to pay more than market value to get the player done, and, and if that happens, then that happens. I think you have to be cognizant of where you are as an organization and what you're willing to pay. And if someone else is willing to step outside that and do it, well, then that's that's how they run their business. Just paint the picture for how this process comes together, all right? And, you know, we call them war rooms, and that's where, you know, the general manager and the management group and the scouting staff, whomever is in that room, you know, on deadline day or free agent frenzy, whatever, you know, I envision a whiteboard 
right? And and it probably gets developed uh, at a pro scouting meeting, maybe even some of your amateur scouting meetings. I don't know well in advance of the trade deadline, but is it literally a list of names on a board and you wipe them off or you juggle that list depending on what you see your needs are or how your appetite for an individual player changes? Yeah, definitely. So you'll put together a list and it's, the list is not just one list. You, you'll have first line centers, first line wingers. You'd have depth player list. You'd have a, a list for hard players. You might have lists for toughness. So you, you've got a bunch of those lists together. They're not, it's not just one list one, from one to 150. Right. Because you might be looking for different things throughout the course of either the trade deadline or like you said, free agency. Put those together. Once a guy's off the board, it used to be like you just said a whiteboard and you'd put an X row. Now we're a little bit more savvy and you got computers with someone on it right away. And then the, the player that was number six on your list just magically disappears. But yeah, that's how, that's how it works. And a lot of time goes into it. Pro scouts spend a lot of time really from, from January 1st on. There's several meetings getting ready for the trade deadline. After the deadline, they give them a break. Then you get ready for another meeting as you get close to the draft, because free agency is, is run basically the same way. It's what what is out there, what are our needs, what are we willing to pay? What's the difference mindset-wise, trade deadline to free agency? Uh, or does trade it deadline urgent or no? It can. Yeah, it definitely can. You know, t- trade deadline, you're dealing with another team directly. Uh, you're trying to negotiate with the team, and you're giving up assets. But in free agency, you're negotiating with the player and the agent, and you're giving up cap space. You're giving up money. And and that's, they're obviously both very important. But, you know, there's a, some of the biggest mistakes that teams make, I think, are being overly aggressive in free agency. I think we're all guilty of that. You try to get pieces that you think are going to be big, big pieces for you going forward. And sometimes it's the pieces that are, are middle-of-the-road pieces, are the number four defensemen that turn out to be a much better ad than trying to be very, very aggressive. And for that reason, it's important to have a pretty solid list. I mean, I, I give an example, going back to Vancouver, uh, you know, we, for me, it was important to get Willie Mitchell. He wasn't the sexiest player available in free agency, but he was a player that we needed, that we needed to have. We needed that piece. And, you know, I actually went and met with him at, in Granville Island to try to talk him into coming. And, and it was important that we added that player. It wasn't, again, it wasn't the top player available, but it was the player that we needed the most in order for our franchise to go forward. Deadline day is over. Um, now what for the managers? So they're, do you, I mean, you can't make any trades. You can't, must drive you guys crazy. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's time to go scouting that that's yeah. really get out in the road a little bit. If you're a team that's not going to be in the playoffs, you want to have a decent handle on, on the draft you know, at least the top 15 or 20 players and not because you're going to override your staff, but because it's important to see what you might be getting in terms of value. So you, you'll do that. You'll hopefully your American league team is having some success. You want to see what your prospects are doing. And then after that, you, you do, you start preparing for, for the draft and for free agency. All right, Dave, we'll leave you this. You know, I think this will put a bow on it until there's a reason to kind of dig deeper with the clubs that added specific players and whether those players have returned dividends and all that. We probably won't know that until we get later into the end of the second half and possibly into the playoff. But is there one team that added enough to change your view on how they stack up now with roughly 20 games left? Well, I guess I'm going to break away from your question. I'm going to give you two teams. Okay. I think that Edmonton, just by adding Ekholm 
added enough so that they could possibly win the division. Is that going to be enough for them to win the cup? I'm not certain that their bottom pairing is good enough to do that. But I think by adding that style of defense, but I think it's really it's really going to help them moving forward and be tougher to play against. The one team that I think added enough in order to make themselves even harder to beat is Boston. I mean, it's hard to believe that that the team that's running away with it may have had the most successful uh, trade deadline of all the clubs available. And again, we talk about pieces that are important to add that are good fits. I think that their their pieces are great fits. Obviously, Orloff is having a, a real amazing start with the club. And I thought Bertuzzi looked pretty good in his first uh, effort there as well. I think that those two pieces are going to be big for them, and it probably puts them even further ahead of the field. Okay, quick one just to follow up. Is it easier? So obviously, it's easier when you need less. But is it easier to target shop like the Bruins as opposed to a team that you go, I, I think we're pretty good, but maybe not. You could improve in four or five areas. The Bruins are looking for a D-man, an aggressive forward. Then they had an injury and they went and got Bertuzzi. Like it was pretty straightforward. You still got to execute it. You do. I think you make a good point. If That's where self-evaluation is important for a playoff team. What do we actually need? Mm-hmm. And do we need the best player available? No. I mean, that's often, sometimes that can actually cause problems if, if, you're, you know, if your line is, mm. lineup is already running effectively. But what do we need? Identify it and go get it. And that's what they did. And they did it very effectively. I thought they did it again. I thought they did it well last year is when they, when they got Happers Lindholm. They, that's mm. what they felt they needed. They went out and did it. So, yeah, you're right. When you have a couple of holes in the wrong areas, maybe softer spots that you want to shore up, it, it does make it make it easier. And again, I think that that team has done a real good job of evaluating where they are and what they needed. Excellent stuff, Dave. Thanks for doing this pre-deadline, post-deadline, uh, wrap things up. We look forward to catching up with you in the near future. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Ray Chris Abbott isn't able to join us today. He's on a bit of a work boondoggle with Batano.ca in Portugal. Uh, I'm not sure the time changed, but we're recording this about 9.55 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. So it's probably around, I don't know, 3 o'clock, something like that. So the man is in meetings. So he's allowed us, he's, he's, he's equipped us with the knowledge and the materials to get through this segment. Uh, presentation of Batano.ca, now available in Ontario. Batano, the game starts now. And you guys were kind enough on Thursday to give me some golf pool draft advice okay Mm. so i go into my draft pool on sunday i want to say there was 13 of us guy bailed at the last second unlucky number i think it was 13 i ended up with middle of the pack picking seventh overall i mean you're getting a decent player but obviously scheffler rom mcelroy guys like that are are gone you know basically one through five who do you think went first overall? Scheffler? He did. Yeah, I mean, and and you say that with a tone of, well, that's kind of a... Well, I thought there was a question. trick question to that. No! Or I, I will tell you this. We we had a, you know, we had our master's pool when we were in Atlanta, and I forget which one of the, <laughs> one of the European guys had the first pick and who didn't know anything about golf. And so we have the sheet with all the tee times and, yeah. you know, number of championships. And I want to say the guys talked him into drafting like Sam Snead, who was like 81 at the time. <laughs> Something stupid like that. And after he made the pick, he couldn't believe while everybody was, you know, making fun of him and, you know, yeah. laughing. And 
So they told him and the court, we gave him another pick, but he's like, yeah, Sam Sneed. And he was so proud with his pick. <laughs> <laughs> Sensational. So no, you know what, what, I, did, what did you like, like seven's a terrible spot. Cause you're in the middle up tough. and down. So I, 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 you liking it? I took Colin Morikawa. Yes. Good. Um, pick. With my first pick, you know, it seemed pretty obvious just given that he was available there. Somewhat like surprising. Uh, second pick. Sam Burns, which, yeah, all right. It's okay. Sneaky good pick, I think, with my third pick, right? Tyrell Hatton, who's playing some good golf. You know what I like? Look about, out. Do you know what I like about <laughs> Tyrell Hatton is he will either play really well or he will break a putter. So good. I, I love watching him play. I, I really feel I really feel a kinship with him. Yeah. yeah. Because when he hits a bad shot, I always hope the camera goes right to him. Yeah. Because like he can't help it. He's, he's like he's vibrating. So, he's so mad at himself. <laughs> he can't believe it. He's like, oh, I, I like watching him play. And my fourth and final pick, credit, full credit, and I announced it at this table with a dozen other dudes, full credit goes to my buddy Ray for suggesting Mito Pereira. I and, like Mito. And instantly, as soon as I picked him, like about three guys just, come on, why would you pick him? Like, they, but they had him? They wanted him. Yeah, they were like, that was my sleeper pick. How would you even come up with that? So I, I had to give full credit to Ray Ferraro. So I, there you go. I... He's a good player and he's a good young player. And I watched, I watched the Netflix documentary. Have you watched it yet, Drakes? I haven't yet. No. It's really, no. it's really good. Now it can never be as good as, as the Formula M1, one F1. Yeah. Because you don't have the conflict, right? Right. But I really liked it. And I liked, I, I found that I was like kind of drawn to him and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's got a big game. And, and I, um, I, so I think that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Okay. Well, look, I mean, we do have to have some gambling conversation here and not just because I laid down about six different side bets as part of the draft. Yes. Well, I'm either going to make some serious cash here or it's going to be painful. Anyway, I thought we'd look at the players championship. Why not? Right. And have a look at some of the odds there. I don't think anyone would be surprised. I, when I asked you the question, who would have you taken first overall? And you said Scheffler. I was surprised to see Scheffler is plus 1,100 to win the players. John Rahm plus 700. There's a lot of Rahm love that is flowing right now in the golf world. And I get it, right? He's having a pretty good start. So it's, it's, and then uh, let, hold on a sec. So, okay, so it's actually win, Rahm, right? Yeah. Yeah. To win. Yeah. Rom at plus 700, McElroy plus 900, I believe, and then Shuffler at plus 1100. Okay, I got two I got two guys that I like out of this list. Well, I like lots of them, but I I kind of feel like Tony Finau is oh, is yeah. is about there. The other mm-hmm. guy is Victor Hovland, and huh? they're both at 2400 plus 2400. I aside from the you know, the, of course, names um, yeah. you mentioned, uh, those are, those are two that jump for me. Yeah. Tony Finau was high on my list and I, I didn't get him because it's, it's a money pool, right? Aside from we, yeah, we include the TPC as part of it. It's five tournaments, not just the four majors, but because the TPC pays out so much money, we, we just, we excluded that it's just purely a win. So if your guy wins collectively, it's score versus money. Okay. The TPC. But for the other, for the four majors, Tony Fino behind your list. Cause that dude is always in the money. Yeah. He hasn't won, but he's always, always around there. 
you know, like, yeah. and, and he's an easy, easy guy to cheer for, for me. Always. Yeah. Unnatured guy. No, is another sneaky one. I think you mentioned this guy too, Max Homa. Oh yeah. yeah. He's got some swag and some style and he's yeah, one of those, yeah. they like, he's going to, he's going to win one of these tournaments and everybody's going to come yeah. on and say, oh yeah, we knew that he was this or that. And because he's right there and everybody likes the way he plays, yeah. they like the way he conducts himself. And somewhere on, I don't know if you follow him on social media, but somebody made a crack about his swing one time and, <laughs> and asked. And then sent a picture or a video of themselves playing. I saw it. And so Homa just for fun kind of ripped the guy. Yeah. And then it started this thing. People now send their swings to him, hoping that he'll rip them on, the, on social media. It's really good. And he's very good at it. Such a good personality, yeah. man. He's so refreshing in the golf world because we're so finicky about, you know, everything has to be primitive. I like that that's disappearing from the game. I really Agreed. do. I like the way Agreed. the guys dress. I like the way they're starting to be a little more free. I think it's, I think it's a good thing for the sport because, uh, you know, we all talk about how do how do sports grow? How do you maintain your place? How do you, how do you include more people and not being a stodgy old sport is the mm. way to improve, to move forward, change it up, let people have personality and Homa's home was a great example of it. Tony Finau is, uh, is a magnet for yeah. people. And it, yes. uh, yeah. and it is, it is amazing because other people look and go like, not just a bunch of old white guys, but they look and they go, look at this. This is yeah. awesome. I want to play. And these guys open up the game. I just think of, just think of the way the guys look like their, yeah. their dress. No, yeah. no, they don't dress the way they did. 10 years ago. And I, no. I think it's even that something as simple as that is, is a great thing. So many ways you can go with the betting lines. Check it out. Atano.ca with the players championship fastly approaching here. And I'm sure we'll have more on that and uh, perhaps some other Stanley cup or playoff related items as part of our Thursday coverage. Atano.ca available in Ontario. The game starts now. Ask Rain Driggs anything. Fire your questions to us on our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, at Rain Driggs, or on the website, rayandriggs.com. We are awarding a question asker, Ray, with some merchandise. Yeah. Ray and Driggs, like very it. popular items out there. Every time we send it and it arrives, nothing but positive feedback. So we've got some shirts, including the Nike golf shirts. Thanks to our friends at Canadian Club for helping us out with that. Um, first question is from Chris Archer. So it's at Ops Fourth Liner, was Ray ever an NHLPA rep? And how are the guys picked? There's actually a couple of people wanted to know this. Chris also ten. No, nope, I was not. No, I never was. Um, basically, somebody is your rep on the team, and they either get traded or they don't want to do it anymore. You kind of ask around. Does it? Is anybody interested? Does anybody want to put? you know, put the effort in the time in. And I do think it gets thought of as an, it's almost like an afterthought who the player rep is. And yeah. I do think it's more complicated than it's ever been. And yes. so if big investment too. Yeah. yeah. And so if it, you've got to be the right type type of guy to say, yeah, I want to want to go ahead with this. And I don't even really know why I never was or wasn't. I, don't, I just, it just never was. Twitter question from Stephen Ray. I think this is a good one. You're going to like it. 
at SLR underscore 1985. Ray, who is the one coach you wish you could have played for in your career, but never had the opportunity? And then there's a follow-up question for me, but one coach you never had the opportunity to play for. Maybe Bob Johnson, Adger Bob in Pittsburgh. I, I think Badger I would have liked, Bob, yeah. I think, and Calgary, of course. And I think I would have, I think I would have liked his, his energy. Um, I think that would have been a, a good you know, like a, a good fit. I mean, I played for Al Arbor, so that was about as, I think about as great as it can. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't look at other coaches. I don't think as we were, you know, as you're playing around and go, yeah, gee, I would have liked to have played for this guy or, or that guy. Barry Trotz might've been, might've been another one. Uh, he just looked, I dealt or I had my most success with guys that were straightforward and straight ahead. And that's, you know, that's pretty much how I envision Barry. So Steve asked me a question. Who was the most noteworthy coach or GM you covered as a reporter that impacted your career from Steve is from Libertyville, Illinois, by the way, I'd have to give the nod to Mike Keenan, believe it or not. And, and only because Mike was in the media side of things now, and then he went back to the Florida Panthers and his evolution as a coach through the NHL just continued on and on and on. But you know, the Mike Keenan that I know, he's a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for the better part of 20 years, is much different than the Mike Keenan that the history books tell the great stories of the players that had <laughs> sketchy experiences. With, See, I don't think, Mike. I don't think I would have survived. <laughs> he would probably not. He would have, he would have had me in a crumbling mess and I would have been on to the next team. <laughs> well, he was intense, but just a good-hearted man again for anyone who doesn't know him personally believe it or not away from the rink terrific guy and another sidebar story for you ray i don't know if i've ever told you this is going back to the 90s right i'm in winnipeg covering the jets so jets 1.0 not 2.0 and the detroit red wings as they so often did waltz in and in in beat winnipeg jets and I see Scotty Bowman walk into the hall and I feel like I've already missed the meat of the coach availability. So I'm like, Scotty doesn't know me. I don't know him other than the iconic figure that he was at that point. And I go, Scotty, you know, sorry, I, I may have missed your media availability if you got a second. And he introduced, you know, I introduced myself and he goes, uh, hmm, well, no, you haven't missed it. It hasn't started yet. And you're really not supposed to be here. <laughs> I was literally like, Standing in, in the door of the coach's office, the old Winnipeg Arena, right, right? right? It's like minutes after the game. Anyway, he goes, all right, well, no problem. Give me a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes goes by. Walks into the hall. <laughs> hey, Darren. Yeah, yeah. Come on in. Come on in. So just me and the cameraman from CK, CKY Television, why I, I ask a question. And by this time, now the assembled Detroit media are like, well, this is different, but I guess he's doing his scrum in this office. <laughs> So they all pile in. There's like four or five of them, right? Scotty finishes his question or his answer. And he looks and he goes, you, 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 get the hell out of here. This, this is a private interview that Darren and I are conducting. And I'll get to you guys in a few minutes. Now, so, how would he have gone from you can't be here to that in 30 I, seconds? I don't know, man. It was, yeah. it was one of the highlights of my career <laughs> at that stage. Obviously, yeah. I was... Yeah, just kind of getting going. So anyway, good times. Uh, Speaking of tough situations, here's one from Adam Ray, at the former bath guy. Mm, Catchy handle. 
Is there a player, former or current, that absolutely refuses to speak with either of you guys? I mean, refuses is harsh. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know, because if they refuse to talk to me, then how would I know? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't think that I tried to interview somebody and they've said, I won't talk to him. I mean, maybe they have, but I, honestly, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's some guys that I've been critical of that probably oh, yeah, for sure. think that I'm a jackass, but I, I don't try to be, I don't you know. I try to oh. be really honest, but you're going to rub some people the wrong way. And I've been doing it now 20 years. I'm sure there's somebody i just former players though you and chelios used to get after each other did you not right well on the ice yeah like he couldn't yeah i couldn't stand him and he couldn't stand me i <laughs> i spent more time around him not a lot but more time in the last year he's a terrific guy awesome yeah. awesome so easy to hang around with that you know like i i really enjoy i would say though I, I think i've told this story before that the guy i had the most intense interaction with that years later ran across and he turned and walked the other way was Kevin Collins, the linesman. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, he, he didn't like me. He thought I had way too much to say on the ice. And I thought that he thought he was in charge of every game and he was the linesman. And so I kind of made that clear. <laughs> and so we were like heads knocking all the time and it may be irretrievable. Yeah. Well, the only one that comes to mind for me and I don't, think he's probably over it now. Don Thornton. You remember he got like the 13 game suspension, yep. 13, four, whatever it was. Well, just doing what I do, I found out ahead of time what the number was. Brendan Shanahan, you know, still pesters me about divulging my source in that because he's like, how would you find that out? He was the head of discipline back in the mm -hmm. time. And I think Thornton was pissed off because his family found out about it, you know, through the media and no. all that, but I don't know that he's angry or upset with me, but that'd probably be as close as I would get. Uh, Brian Mudrick has a question. Of course he does. Is Ollie in? Ollie, Ollie just uh, checking up. Ollie, good morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just popped in. Brian Mudrick has a question that I feel, I, like, I, I feel like I'm fit to answer this. You may be too. Oh, you, you take it. You yeah. can, Who you will win the briar? Oh, I'm, I'm out. Who you got? It's Who going on right now. Kevin Cooey. Uh, Alberta, Alberta. Oh, no Saskatchewan guy this year? No, nah, well, you know what? It pains me to say Alberta. It really, truly does. But he's won four and he's yes. poised to win a record five. So that's going to be your selection. Yeah, I'm going with Alberta. Thanks, Muddy. You're always good. He's, he's got like a few questions here, but some of them you can't ask because they're good. Yes. Um, we have to award some merchandise. How about Steve who asked, was there a coach at Alberta? Yep. That's, that's a good one. Yep. Make sure. All think. right, Steven. Like it. Yeah. Steven at SL, SLR underscore 1985 gets the Rain Riggs merchandise. Sorry, buddy. Tuesday. What's the week look like? I'm back to Boston tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon. I, yeah. Tomorrow afternoon. And then uh, I got to get Oilers in Boston on Thursday and mm -hmm. uh, Detroit in Boston on Saturday. So I'm in, as they call it, the hub for three days. And, um, yeah. You know, and enjoy watching McDavid against the Bruins. I think that's going to be the high. That'll be a good one. Yeah. What will you sell? What do you got going? What do you, now you're past I'm the definitely, deadline. This is mail it in March. You nailed it. Mail it in March. Although we have the Leaf game tonight. Leaf's busy. So now, are you going to do something that's... about this crappy snowblower you bought or what? I don't even want to talk about it. I, mean, I don't know. I mean. You were so high it's... on it. And now it's well, a shovel. No, it still works, but it. 
got multi-forward gears and reverse, and now it only has one forward gear and no reverse. Oh, see, that's clearly be a problem. <laughs> there's been some transmission issues here <laughs> with all the snow that we've had, so I don't know. I'll well, it. I'll get to it, Drakes. Get to it, man. All right, buddy. Okay, have a good week, and we'll... Uh, check back on thursday I was... yeah talk to you then everybody thanks for listening huge shout out to our partners who make the podcast possible twice per week our title sponsor good friends at canadian club whiskey who ask are you over beer batano.ca it is now available in ontario remember the game starts now says batano and by doer use code rnd pants and you will save 15 percent off everything at doer.ca that's episode 46 of the Rain Dregs podcast. Until episode 47, stay safe, everybody. <laughs>